Welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. I would love to connect with you. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. There are thousands of amazing self-help books out there, but what happens when you're struggling at the moment and need help now? Well, my new book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook, is your new go-to self-help book. I wrote it specifically for when you don't know how to overcome a challenge. Each chapter gives you a framework on how to tackle your situation. I help you focus on what already works for you. Your situation today may be different, but the emotions you're currently feeling, you felt them before, and you did something that helped you. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. This book is specifically written to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Purchase your book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. Once again, purchase Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. My guest today is Colleen Jorgensen, who is an osteopath, athletic therapist, pain care educator, speaker, and a therapeutic Pilates, yoga, and somatic teacher. She brings art and science together through her deep fascination with anatomy, neuroscience, manual therapy, and how the body moves. Having lived with pain for over a decade, Colleen understands the challenges firsthand. Seeing a gap in the system, Colleen created Dare to Heal, a much-needed online program that teaches those in pain to help themselves. Welcome to Lifeology. Thank you so much for having me, James. I am excited about this. Uh, I, for those of you who listened to my show the past uh, couple months, I had the pleasure of working with Corey Poirier through Blue Talks. So those of you who uh, want a TED Talk or are struggling to get on a TED Talk or aren't able to get on a TED Talk, go to bluetalks.com, that's B-L-U talks.com, and Corey Poirier will help you. Be sure to tell him that I sent you as well. So Colleen, I met you through there, or actually you heard me, I was one of the, the panelists there, got a chance to listen to me. So I'm really honored that you came on my show today. So thank you so much. I'm really honored that you're having me. Thank you so much. <laughs> My pleasure. We'll compliment each other all this whole session. Yeah, all day. <laughs> now, I was reading your backstory. So at three years old, you started dance. What was it about the dance that really, I mean, at three years old, I mean, we don't really know much, but what was it about dancing at three years old that really resonated? I think I've just always been curious about what these bodies of ours do. And I, I mm. like to challenge my body and just see, oh, can I try? And see if I see someone do something, I want to try to emulate that. Mm. And just very curious about movement, but also how our bodies work and how our bodies feel. Mm. And now as a, as a precocious 16-year-old, was that something where you're a little bit different from your peers when you would be mindful of those types of things? Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> a lot of people were drawn more to um, competitive sports that were like team sports. Sure. I was always drawn to the artistic sports. So yeah. dance, gymnastics, diving, figure wow. skating, all the things that had that artistic element to it. And then when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to study, I first thought I wanted to be a surgeon. <clears throat> but when I had a back injury myself and I was with a surgeon, I realized that they didn't have much time with their patients, at least not here where uh, I live. Sure. And when I pictured myself being a surgeon, I pictured being a part of people's lives and getting them back to that mm. thing that they love to do. Um, and it was really working with athletic therapists, physios and osteos that I went, oh, okay, that's what I want to do. So at around that age is when I started to choose, I'm going to start to study more about the body and athletic therapy and exercise science was my first thing that I did in university. Wow. That is amazing. So now 
in, in the intro, I was talking about how you kind of connect the, the arts and the science together. Tell me more about that. So sometimes when we look at things only through that science perspective, which I have huge respect for, and it's mm -hmm. a huge part of what informs my work, um, sometimes the science takes a while to catch up because you have to prove things science right yeah, and it's not right. always easy to prove things the body is highly complex people are highly complex and unique yeah. so it's very difficult to research some of the elements of pain especially pain and movement i would say um so that's where the art for me comes in a little bit better sometimes mm. people who are in the arts the whole philosophy around the arts a little bit more open a little bit more free sure. a little more forgiving a little bit more believing what you feel even if there isn't something that correlates it sure. on paper. Yeah, and then often we find out years and years down the road that, oh, okay, well, something that that person mm. talked about even centuries ago, now we've yeah. got the science to back it up. So I'm, I'm, yes. I'm informed by science, but I also allow the art to fill my soul and help me go towards the science in a different way or look at it with a different lens. Yeah. I think that's why you and I connect really well, but I'm the same way It's being a behavioral scientist, but also really into the arts as well. I mean, it's, it's important to me. So I have, I have had people on my show in the past and they'll say something. And I'm like, well, that's not really science-based. And then I'll go read something. I'm like, oh, I actually was science-based. <laughs> of course, I would never <laughs> say that, but I think that I'm like, oh, well, I got to learn. So not only did I get to learn from yeah. one of my guests, but also I got to learn from, from the, the science part awesome. of it as well. Now, when you, you've, you became an osteopath and from there, you had a lot of different programs. And then something happened for you at 16 years into that. What happened for you where you had your own pain? Yeah. So when I was 17, I had a, a back injury and ended up having a big surgery. So I was like five years of chronic pain, had this surgery, and the surgery was hugely successful. It gave me 20 very functional years where, yes, I had some pain, but I was fully functional. I could do everything I wanted. And then fast forward 20 years. So that was back in 2010. It was a complication from that surgery, basically. I had a spinal cord compression. So that for a period of two years, there were times when the only thing I could move was my hands and forearms. So here oh I was gosh. someone who always used movement and manual therapy mm -hmm. as my ways to, to help with anything. And all I could do was stare at my ceiling. And the only movement oh I had was this. So I really had to, I had to find another way. And I, I'm very lucky that at that point in my life, I was teaching Pilates and yoga and somatics. And I don't, I'm not mm -hmm. Feldenkrais certified, but I use Feldenkrais sure. uh, for my yeah. own practice. And I realized, okay, well, the breath is what I have. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's the yeah. only thing that's accessible that's to me. Point. And I was fascinated. Even though I've taught, I had taught breath at that point for many years, I believed in the power of the breath. Here I was, I had to rely, my survival to get through every day depended on the breath. And it got me through mm. and it taught me a lot. And it, there was a moment that I kind of realized, you know, as humans, we don't know much about the human body. It's really strange to me that we were not taught about how our bodies work. To me, it should be part of every parent-child relationship. It should be in schools from day one, but it isn't. So our reality is that we are born knowing our bodies very well and then life happens and life teaches us to actually ignore the, the messages that we get from our bodies sure. so then you <clears throat> find yourself with an injury and there's so much fear because you don't understand what's happening and many many people are afraid to try anything for fear of making it worse and that is the number one thing i hear when people come to see me um i usually have a bit of a waiting list so sometimes it could be six months to a year that people wow. are waiting and i always ask what have you done while waiting to see me 
almost always the answer is nothing because I was afraid of making things worse. So mm. this all came to me when I was lying down, unable to move, and I thought of other people who don't understand how the body works, and they wouldn't know to turn to their breath, and they wouldn't know that, okay, well, I can move my fingers, so let me move my fingers, and then I eventually could move my wrist, and then eventually my forearms, and I kept building and building, and mm. I wasn't afraid to try because I understood that I wasn't going to make it worse. So it was mm. in those moments lying on my floor that I said, well, I need to build something because everybody yeah. needs to know yes. this. Like, Everybody needs to know that they don't need to wait for that expert. Yes, it's important to have the experts support you, but you don't need to wait for the expert before you start to try to help yourself. And that was my motivation to build something. Mm. And it took about eight years before my health stabilized enough that I could actually get my thoughts wow. down on paper. So I couldn't wow. sit or type or think for a while. But And then I finally launched it when uh, right when COVID started, essentially. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, congratulations on um, being able to figure that out for yourself. Obviously you have the background and the, and the training for that, but I really like the fact that you focus on what you could do instead of what you could not do. I think many times we struggle with the loss of something and focus more on yeah. that and we disempower ourselves. So congratulations once again for being able to do that. Now I want to clarify something for some people may take what you said to the extreme of saying, uh, try something because it may not make it worse. So how do you, what's the, the clarifier for that so that we do things that are healthy as opposed to things that are not healthy? That's a great question. So I'm going to start by saying that I'm going to be talking about people who are dealing with something chronic because acute pain okay. is a very different thing. So I'm going to talk about chronic. When we're talking about something chronic, which usually is if it's gone past three months, <clears throat> What we now understand is that the longer you've been in pain, the more your nervous system learns how to produce pain even better. Mm. So we get better and better at producing pain. We used to think, and a lot of people still have the misconception that pain comes from, pain is like an input that comes from your body, but it's not. We get messages from our physical body. We get mm. messages from our tissues, but then we don't experience pain and so the brain is at a chance to process those messages that are coming from your body, okay. what's coming from your environment, the people around you, everything you've lived in your life, everything you've got coming up in your life. And the, the, the brain has to make a, a decision. It has to decide, is James safe right now or is he in danger? Mm -hmm. And if your system decides that you're safe, it will send hormones and chemicals down your spinal cord to dampen the messages coming from your body, in which okay. case it can stop pain altogether or really reduce it. On the other hand, if your system, if your brain decides, oh no, I think James is in danger or under threat, then it's going to send a different set of signals down your spinal cord that will up ramp the messages sure. coming from your body and now you feel pain. So part of what happens when you've been in pain for a while is that the system charts starts to see threat even when there's no threat there. Mm. This is where it becomes really complex. So yeah. your question is difficult to answer because when you have something that's persisted, you can't at first trust the messages from your body. So mm. we used to tell people, if it hurts more than a three on 10, don't do it. Or if it's sharp pain, don't do it. We realize now those, those, those suggestions don't hold any water because how much pain you feel, the type of pain you feel, and where you feel it actually gives you very little information about what's actually happening. Interesting. So <clears throat> one of the things that my program focuses on a lot is trying to monitor things. Yes, take a look at what your pain is doing, but also look at other things, like how is your breath reacting? How mm. is your body tension reacting? How are your thoughts and emotions reacting? 
and what sort of nervous system state is triggered when you try to do a certain thing. So if you, to answer your question, it was a roundabout way. Mm -hmm. no, if I someone tries you. something and they have pain, pain on its own is not enough to say, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Because your system sees threat where there isn't threat, so it will produce pain often when you've had pain for a while. Wow. So you have to start to look at, okay, my pain is there, but I know pain is not damaged, so let me keep trying. But okay, how is my breath? Point. And if your breath is, if you're holding your breath or you've got really shallow breath, that's signaling threat to your nervous system. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, can I soften that out? Okay, yes, I can. Great. What about muscle tension? Am I clenching my jaw? Am I going into fists? Am I frowning? All the different areas that we can tense up in our body also signal threat. All right, let me notice that. Can I soften that? Yes. Okay, let me keep going. Thoughts and emotions. This is the big one. Mm -hmm. We cannot feel a sensation without having an emotion attached to it. You know this. <laughs> with what you do, you know this. And often, when we have lived with pain for a while, there's a whole complex story about what that pain means. Oh. And it usually is a story around fear. So first of all, understanding that, acknowledging that story, it's really important to not ignore it, but understanding that the story might not be true. Mm -hmm. And so you want to offer a different story, try to flip script. So if you herniated a disc and you associated that with happening when you bent down to tie your shoes, every time you bend down to tie your shoes, there's sure. a story playing on repeat in there yeah. saying, Oh, you better be careful. You might herniate another disc and then you're going to be bedridden and you're going to miss work and all the things. Mm -hmm. But if we can pause, recognize the stories there and realize <laughs> I wasn't putting on my shoes that herniated disc. Like that might be the first time I felt that pain, but that's not the thing that herniated my disc. So I'm actually quite safe to put my shoes on. Yeah. And I'm dealing with a different body right now. And now I have all these tools to help me. And just even if we don't believe that story in that moment, the science shows that if you give a story of gratefulness, hope, yeah. joy, self-compassion, it takes us out of that threat response. And then your system is less likely to perceive danger. And so it's less likely to produce pain. That was a very long answer to your question. I, I loved it. I followed everything you said, and I'm sure many people have followed it as well. And But there's so many good nuggets in there, so I definitely recommend my viewers and listeners go back and listen to what you said. I really appreciate the fact that you, once again, look at what you can do versus what you cannot do. You are looking, a person can look at the external uh, factors or external aspects of what they're contri potentially contributing to this. So for example, one's breath. If my breath is too fast, as you know, it, it affects the polyvagal nervous system, and there's many things that happen. And so with yeah. that, it's so important for people to recognize that we may be contributing to things. I know for me, like if I'm lying in bed late at night, sometimes I struggle with insomnia. If I start to think about something, to perseverate on something, there's a fancy term that says you loop a thought over and over again. If you do that often, or if I do that often, it then can create a whole wonderful, I say wonderful in quotes for those of you who can't see me, mm -hmm. a world of potential disaster. <laughs> so I'm yeah. really good creative like that. Or I can flip it and say, James, you know, I just did a, um, an Instagram a uh, clip about this is focusing, focusing specifically on something in the moment as opposed to thinking out too far out. So if we think too far out of what could be, that creates anxiety and it disempowers us even more. So I, I like the fact that you focus on the breath, your thoughts, all the different contributing factors that are external. Because as, of course, we all know this, we can't see what's inside, so we don't know what's happening. So what are we potentially contributing to that? You know, as you were talking, though, I was also thinking, unfortunately, there are some people who have had chronic pain for so long that that's become their identity. In your system, do you help people differentiate between the identity or the story that they've 
um, assimilated for themselves and how to separate between that? I know that's more in my field, but does Dare talk more about that? Yeah, I, I took a course with Joe. Um, oh my goodness, his name is escaping at this moment. Who would ask for chronic pain? Uh, mm-hmm. And we, I do a lot of some of the mindfulness practices that we do are distancing Good. yourself from your thoughts, yeah. distancing yourself from your pain. A lot of Buddhist practices that talk about you, you have pain, but you are not your pain. It's a really big part yes. because you're right. Mm-hmm. It becomes your identity. And when you've lived with chronic pain, there is a loss of who you were. That is a big mm-hmm. part of it. And that grief, that grief piece is often not addressed in chronic pain mm-hmm. programs. We talk about that. It's so important. Um, and one of my sayings in the program is work with what's working because of what you said. We're yeah. so, we become so highly focused on what's not working and what we can't do. But there's so much our bodies can do. Just like for me, when all I could do was move my fingers, when I focused on that, slowly but surely, I started being able to move more and more. Curiosity is something that I really highlight in this program. Um, Instead of being afraid of all the sensations we feel in our body, get really curious because anything you feel, especially pain, is your own body tapping you on the shoulder and saying, okay, James, trying to let you know about something. I need you to listen. Our instinct when we feel pain is to ignore it, to stuff it down, to try to fight it. But that's like getting into the boxing ring with your own self. Your system's trying to help you. It's trying to make things better for you. We just have to learn how to figure out how to interpret the messages. And that is a big thing of what we focus on in the Dare to Heal program is, first of all, tuning in, how to hear the messages, and then how to interpret what it means in your body. It's not the same for me and you. Everyone's different. Mm -hmm. And then another piece that I find is really important, and I didn't know that it was going to be so important, and I'm kind of excited that it turned out to be so important. I have a section on, I called it creativity at first, and I switched it to curiosity because people got afraid of creativity. Mm-hmm. But I give sure. people a curiosity prompt every, every week because life when you live with chronic pain or chronic illness becomes very contracted. It yes. can become very small, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and people lose their joy very quickly. They stop smiling. They stop playing. And yet we know the science tells us that if we can be in joy, if we can be playful, again, it brings us out of that stress response and that's where we're able to heal. So yes, we do things that are serious and we learn about the pain science in little bite-sized nuggets, but there's also a lot about curiosity, creativity, and play so that you can start living life again, not just surviving your pain. I don't want people to just survive their pain. I really want them to find joy, even if you still have pain. I know that everyone's goal who has pain is to get rid of it. And for mm-hmm. some of you, that might happen. We never promise that. And if anyone tells sure. you they can, I would take it with a grain of salt. But, or and, you can start living your life and you can feel joy even while you still have it. So don't wait for pain to be gone to do X, Y, Z. Do it now and let's figure out how to manage your pain while you're doing that. And you'll start to see that as you live life, and feel joy, the pain starts to diminish. It's kind of like a seesaw. The more mm. that joy goes up, the more that pain goes down. Yeah. A lot of times people focus on what was versus what is and what will be. The what was was pre-pain. The what is is the pain. And then what will be, we often want that what was to become what will be. And yeah. it may be different. It may be somewhat similar, but more than likely it'll be very dissimilar. So learning how to say what was was beautiful, wonderful. I wish I had it again. This is how I feel now. And what will be, 
I don't know. So what would that look like? So the curiosity you're talking about, what would that look like? I wonder if I had a little bit less pain, what would that look like? So from a psychological approach, I really want to corroborate what you're saying because we often focus in past. And so, which is wonderful. We loved it. That was our identity. And now when working through you with the DARE program, able to really understand the difference of what could be. And in that curiosity allows for that myopic, in other words, that real um, closed-minded focus of what one's life is, it's maybe only in their bedroom or wherever it might be, they're now is able to help them expand and grow, which gives them hope. And hope is something that we all need. Hope is something that we all need. False hope for people in mm, pain is fine. a big challenge, but actual hope is really important. And yeah. I fully agree with you that present moment awareness is so important. And may I share a little snippet of my own story that helped me with yeah. that? Yeah. So for the first, I would say four years of my journey, I was I was giving my body what it used to do well with. So I was challenging mm, it. I kept trying to challenge it more. Yeah. I kept trying to do a bigger thing <laughs> to, to get myself back to where I was. I was working with the body that I used to have and the function that I used to have and the person that I was. And it was really a moment. I, I dropped to the floor and I, I, I asked my body out loud, what do you want from me? I'm doing mm everything that I know how to do. I'm doing everything that all the science tells me to do. I'm doing everything that helps all of my other clients. What else can I do? And the message was so clear. My body said, stop doing, <laughs> just mm. stop. And I finally yeah. heard that. And then from that day forward, instead of working with the body I used to have, I started working with where I was. And I finally started to see progress because I wasn't fighting my system all the time. I, I accepted finally, okay, I've got limitations. I'm not at this moment. I'm not yet where I was before. Mm -hmm. I may be again, but in this day, in this moment, I'm not. So let me work with this. And it changed everything. So that is another big part that I try to help people with. Yeah, we all want to get back to where we were before, but we don't know. When you're unable to do something you used to be able to do, all of a sudden something opens up and presents itself that maybe you never would have been introduced yeah, to that's fair that's if really you hadn't point. had that limitation right i, I yeah. wouldn't be here with you today probably if i hadn't yeah. had all those limitations yeah. so, i always tell people and I'm, everyone always hears me say this but i'll say it again um every event in our life is like a jigsaw puzzle piece when the jigsaw puzzle piece when you put it together you don't know where the piece goes but when you put another piece together which is perspective and then another piece you find ah this makes sense doesn't mean you like it doesn't mean you want to do it again but you find that perspective it's just like you a little bit of time later, and here we are talking how many years later, but we're able to really see for you, that's how it made sense for you. So to live in the moment, as you said, is something that is incredibly appropriate. And as we know, yesterday's strength does not mean it's applicable for today's strength. Absolutely. And I love your puzzle analogy, because that's what it's like to be in pain too. You get mm. a whole bunch of pieces, but you have no idea how to put them together, right? Yeah. So, fair. And we all have all those pieces inside of us, but sometimes we need a little guidance about, okay, well, which ones are the corners and which ones are the outlines and which mm -hmm. ones are in the middle? And that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help people figure out how to put it all together so that you have your full puzzle to work. We have one more minute here. How long is the program? So it's 12 weeks of guided practices. So each week, mm -hmm. a whole bunch of new stuff unlocks and you, so that you're, so it's not too overwhelming to have it all at the same sure. time. And we meet live. There's a community element that oh. is optional. If you want to be a part of it, you can. If you don't, that's okay. And then you have access to it for a year. So it's like having me in your living room for a whole year to keep reminding you of the concepts, using them over and over and over again, 
And so many of them are delivered in short little bite-sized nuggets. It's often two minutes or less. Yeah. So it's things Perfect. that you can do. Um, you can apply them to your day-to-day. -day, and even once you don't have the program anymore, you will be able to keep doing those. I've built it that way. Right? You can hold on to those. That's wonderful. I'm I'm confident my viewers and listeners will go to your website to find out more information about that. And with that, unfortunately, our time is up. We, you and I can spar back and forth quite a bit. We have a lot of synergy here. Uh, if my viewers and listeners want to find out more information about you, to work with you, to work with, learn more about the DARE online program, where would they find this information online? Sure. So a few different places. On my website, paulinejorgensen.org. Uh, I'm also on social media and I, I, I share a lot of free practices. So on Facebook, it's Stillness in Motion. Instagram, it's underscore stillness in motion. And on YouTube, it's stillness in motion with Pauline Jorgen. You can find me all those places. Awesome. And my all viewers and listeners will direct also... you to the D.A.R.E. program. Oh, perfect. Okay. My viewers and listeners also know that if they can't find this information any other place, simply go to the show notes at jamesmillerlifeology.com and link with Colleen Jorgensen. Colleen, thank you once again. I really appreciate your time today. I really enjoyed our chat, James. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.